the police said that when they arrived on the scene, Jose and Kitty were unrecognizable because of the brutality of the crime. Murders, mysteries, unexplained stories, and our family's crazy opinions on them all. Join us now. The Family School of Thought is in session. Hey, everybody out there in YouTube land. Welcome again to the Family School of Thought. Hope everybody had a great week. Um, please uh, push that like button and share and um, subscribe to our channel. Would help us a lot. And um, so let's get started this week. And Jesse, you got some uh, facts for us? Yes, I do. So this is the Histories Calendar Unexplained Mysteries. Um, so this information is about the disappearance of the SS Benakburn. I think that's how you say it. It is a ship that's also known as the Flying Dutchman of the Great Lakes. And the SS Bannockburn set sail from Fort William, Ontario, Canada, for its final voyage on November 21st of 1902. The ship crossed Lake Superior several times before having a myriad of problems, including um, running into shoals in a wall, which caused a leak that almost sank the vessel. And although it was repaired afterwards, the evening of the ship's disappearance, there was a recorded winter storm making it hard for the ship to navigate. Once the ship did not return to the, its port, several other vessels reported where they had last uh, seen the ship. And one even reported sealing through a yard of debris um, that they could not uh, definitively tie to the Benak. Benockburn, but um, there's no conclusive evidence that was has ever been found regarding the disappearance of the ship, and sadly, that includes any bodies of the crew members that were on it, and the ship has been likened to the Flying Dutchman, um, which is a pirate ship, a ghost pirate ship, for those who don't know, but it was likened to the Flying Dutchman because several notable sailors um, have claimed to encountered a ghost ship resembling the Bannockburn sailing at night on Lake Superior. Cool. What year? So, what did, what 1902. Okay. So, Sweet. but I think uh, us as Michiganders, we kind of know how dangerous Lake Superior is. This ship probably sank. It's probably at the bottom, and it's a super, super deep lake. Um, but the Edmund Fitzgerald, I think, is the most famous ship that sank in Lake Superior. And it just right. it hit like a little um, sandbar or like a sand wall. And um, I'm assuming that this is that's the same fate as this ship is it probably hit um, one of those little sand walls out. Because I know, especially up where the Edmund Fitzgerald sank. It's like it goes from like super deep to like super shallow pretty quickly, and you have to be paying attention, and that's what caused the Edmund Fitzgerald to, to sink. Mm -hmm. I'm assuming that's kind of what happened at this one, but the eeriness of it, you know, people reported seeing a ghost ship. It didn't say where where they see the ghost ship, but um, I think but I'm assuming it would be up at Whitefish Point. Well, this is you know it last it last set sail from Ontario, 
So oh, I'm assuming it's more on there. the northern end of Lake Superior. So right. right. More on the Canadian side. Yeah. But hmm. Interesting. There you go. There's some facts. I do want to say, though, today's fact or like the unexplained mystery for today's date was actually the Skinwalker Ranch. Um, <laughs> so, But we have covered that. So I didn't want to repeat the same information. So there you go. And I do want to say we did. We have um, a listener or a viewer that has reached out and provided um, some like amazing fact type things. When I was saying we were coming to the end of the year with my amazing facts from the mental floss calendar, somebody sure. had reached out and provided like a link and I've looked at it. I just haven't used it yet. Um, but I, I'm going to maybe sprinkle some of those facts in there too, just because shout out to the listener that um, shared that too share that information cool. with me pretty yeah. awesome yeah i don't know if we should say names no yeah so <laughs> maybe off air but it, how about this i it think was we're all aware of who it is it was a listener from texas there you go oh. so shout out to the listener from texas <laughs> awesome. awesome all right and it wasn't jordan okay I, I know who it is. <laughs> I know. I, that narrowed it down. I, I, I saw somebody north. else, but that narrowed it down. There's yeah. other people. Just a little bit yeah. further north. We love you. About, okay, Cass, do you have a song for us this week? Well, so I do have a song for you this week, but it is not a creepy song, and it's more of a question. Um, oh. And it's, it's really because uh, I had this discussion with somebody at work when this song was playing. Um, but the question is, do you or should Temple of the Dog be considered a one-hit wonder? What? What? I don't know if I even so, know what that song is. Exactly. Oh, yeah, so know. Temple of the Dog, uh, their song is Hunger Strike. And it is um, consisting of Chris Cornell from Soundgarden and Eddie Vedder from Pearl Jam. And actually, it's pretty much all of Pearl Jam. Um, pre Pearl Jam, so and they really only had like a couple songs before yeah, Pearl yeah. Jam became big. Pre, pre Pearl Jam. Pre Pearl Jam because Temple of the Dog, Temple of the Dog came out um, with their album four months before Pearl Jam's debut album Ten came out. So it is pre Pearl Jam. I did not know that. Now you know, but so I mean. They like they have these. They so they're considered a super group because it is basically Soundgarden and Pearl Jam, but they're kind of one hit wonders. They never really toured. They like they only played it live like when the two bands were together. So it's like, is it a one hit wonder? Because they really only know are known for Hunger Strike, um, which is commonly mistaken for a Soundgarden song or a Pearl Jam song. So wait, okay, hold on. I had to look them up because I wasn't I, like Hunger Strike. I, a I, lot need, to, I need to hear the, the music. Um, Hunger Strike, but Times of the Trouble—that's a pretty popular song, isn't it? I I feel like the only song I really consider Temple of the Dog known by is Hunger Strike. I guess maybe I need to listen. And what to the it works? Sing me some song. Sing, sing it to me. Sing it to <laughs> me, baby. 
You know it because I'm sure it's played in the house a million times. Well, you just million. don't. You probably consider it a Pearl Jam song. No, 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 no. We don't have the rights to the song. That's nope. part of the problem. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no. I no, I always kind of thought of it as a um, sound garden song. It's not though. But, it's but, not. But okay, this is now this is a conundrum because I'm gonna have to think about this. I think it's a one hit wonder. I never heard Pearl Jam do it. I just thought they were doing a Soundgarden song. No, it is. It's it is Chris they Cornell who formed Chris Cornell formed Temple of the Dog with um, basically the the members of Pearl Jam before Pearl Jam, uh, and then the Hunger Strike features Eddie Vedder from Pearl Jam, um, and it's one of the only big songs that came out of the band before Pearl Jam became huge. I'm really, I really thought that was like a. After they both were big, they kind of got together and made that song. I was kind of unsure of like what, like the time frame, um, but Temple of the Dog is around 1990 as as well as Pearl Jam. So it's kind of like I think it was just like kind of at the same time they came out. Really, because I was um, really thinking that was a Soundgarden song, but Eddie Vedder was just kind of like gonna you know collaborate with them on a song. Yeah, but it, it kind of seems like that. I feel like a it lot of people mistake it for it. Yeah, it's probably one of those things where they were like, "Oh, let's jam together." We're not famous enough, and then Pearl Jam took off, and it's like a, it all happened simultaneously. I think so. I do think it happened simultaneously. But Temple of the Dog was actually formed because it was um, a kind of a tribute band. Um, I guess. Um, Chris Cornell's roommate, Andy Wood, who was a singer for a couple bands called Malfunction and Mother Love Bone, um, had died of a heroin overdose. And so he basically created Temple of the Dog as in an honor of his friend. Wow. And a couple, uh, so uh, let me see. Um, let me see. Uh, Jeff Amet, who was the bass guitarist for Mother Love Bone and then later became the bassist for Pearl Jam, um, was it decided to do Temple of the Dog as well. Um, same with Mike McCready, who then later became the lead guitarist for Pearl Jam. And Matt Cameron, who was the drummer for Soundgarden before Soundgarden broke up and he became the drummer for Pearl Jam. So it was basically like an interim band between yeah. Soundgarden and Pearl Jam. Wow. Huh. Hmm. Well, you taught me something today. I know. I, that's what, like, I, I, we had a long discussion because I was like, it's kind of... A one hit wonder, but I feel like both fans, super fans, would be really offended by calling it a one hit wonder. Yeah. Oh, sure. Well, what did all your people, your friends at work think? Um, so well, the person I had the discussion with was like, No, it's a super group. Like it was like they basically were like, Oh, it's like a jam session. And I'm like, but it's not like they like it was a yeah. band. They did a music video, they had a whole album. Um, and this was just Hunger Strike was the only song that really came out of there. Well, I know what I'm going to be doing tonight after we get off of here. <laughs> I kind of feel like I don't feel like it's a what I don't know. It, it's kind of weird, but it's like one of those things that like I don't feel like it was it was or is a one hit wonder because if the other two bands wouldn't have formed the dog the whatever they're they're called the dogs would have. Temple of the, the Temple of the Dogs would have continued 
creating more music and maybe they didn't promote their album, you know, cause usually you have like one song that's released from your album. Like, I, like this is back in the nineties and so it may be different, but like you like pre-release one, like one year top song and then the albums are released and then you continue to promote your album and release songs off of it. So maybe they didn't ever get to that stage and the Pearl Jam was created. And I mean, Pearl Jam is a pretty well-known band and, you know, like it just kind of went down in history where they never really continued doing anything with it. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I don't know. I feel like if it kind of had been that, like, uh, I don't know. I feel like there'd be some kind of animosity between Pearl Jam and Soundgarden, which there wasn't like they were, they remained Right. Well, yeah, that's a, like it's it was an amicable split type of but that's where like mm-hmm. they both moved on and they like oh like we got bigger better things like who cares about Temple of the Dogs at this point because Pearl Jam made it big before Soundgarden no or no no Sound well Garden I don't know so it. so I'm I'm unsure I'm unclear of like when both bands got big obviously 10, 10 was like a huge album I but remember in 91 Pearl Jam was big yeah Soundgarden so Soundgarden, Soundgarden not, they were formed in like 1983 though so Soundgarden I don't know when they got big but they were they formed in 1984 actually so they formed like six years before Pearl Jam hmm. wow that's interesting yeah I don't know I mean I just think of it as like, okay, you have, so you have Soundgarden at least, but then you, Pearl Jam is non-existent when Temple of the Dogs started and it, Pearl Jam kind of came out about the same time that it just, I don't know. I've, I mean, I, we've all started projects and they thinking it's going to be great and then right. it's good or great, whatever, but then you move on to a better project that like you just forget probably, about the other one. Probably like Eddie probably moved on before that song was ever released. It probably was recorded. Right. That's what I was right. 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 Off, right. You know? But it, that's the thing is like when I, so I agree. Okay. Like I, he was, he was, no so Eddie Vedder was not, so Eddie Vedder was not a part of Temple of the Dog. That's the thing no, is Eddie Vedder right. was never a part of Temple of the Dog. He was only featured on the song Hunger Strike. Um, and actually some promo shots, he's in them, but he's like the center of attention. So I feel like there was like, that's why people think it's a Pearl Jam song. Um, because a lot of like their band well, photos feature Eddie Vedder. Of starting his own thing, but was probably just hanging out, in the, just hanging with these people. And they threw him in. Honestly. Yeah. Know. Right. You know, we need a new category because we need to contact Eddie Vedder. <laughs> We need to contact these celebrities and get their take. How this played out? Well, that is actually why I asked this question because I kind of want to see what the viewers think as well. I want to see if the viewers think consider Temple of the Dog to be one hit wonder, or if they consider it to be an interim band, or if they consider it to just be a band that didn't make it past a certain point. Well, now that you now that you brought it up, I ha- I guess I have always been confused who the Temple of the Dog were. I thought that was a Soundgarden song. Eddie Vedder just kind of like was jamming with them. They, they just put it together, you know? I think it was. Like, I think he was just, I think maybe Pearl Jam was in the middle, of, like, or like they obviously were, you know, writing and starting well, their album, but. recording as Pearl Jam. Right. And they were just like, wow, you have a really good voice. Like, come over here and sing on this song. 
which is way. But, it, but it, the thing is, it's not just Eddie. Like it is like it's got the bassist, the lead guitarist, and the drums are all now part of Pearl Jam. Pearl Jam. So it's Pearl Jam pre Pearl Jam. I think. God, now I'm confused. Soundgarden <laughs> started in the '80s. I got yeah. I actually do that as well. And so did Pearl Jam. Pearl Jam was around way, way before they hit it big. A long time. They didn't. I their debut album it. did not come out until the '90s. So maybe they were doing know, other stuff before that, and they weren't recorded. Around, they were Pearl Jam in the '80s, but they just okay. never made it. You know, what I mean, they right. They did a lot of concerts and stuff. Okay, I've I've got a. This is blowing my mind. We might have to quit, and I got to figure. This I do out. have a long. I was gonna say I do have a long story, so I don't know how much longer. I didn't mean for it to be this big of a. Okay. Intro. Well, <laughs> I I just muted myself so I could listen to the songs, and I recognize "Times of Trouble," but not any of the other ones. Really? Just I, I think don't recognize "Hunger Strike." That's so funny. You you, you recognize "Hunger Strike." No, I well, I kind of skipped through it, so but maybe that's why. But oh, I was yeah, just kind of yeah. like skipping through. But yeah, it's ah. one of those songs. I guess I've never been really sure whose song it was. I knew the two bands collaborated on it, and I kind of thought maybe both of them just did that song, and then they just kind. I don't know. No, I'm conf more confused than ever. But I am going to spend this week figuring this out. <laughs> well, it is. Both groups, and, and hopefully our viewers will too. So you can't look up Hunger Strike under Pearl Jam or Soundgarden. You've got to look up Temple it of the Dog. So this is Temple of the Dog. Now it does make sense <laughs> that you say that, hmm. but I always thought it was a Soundgarden song. But wow! <laughs> All right. Well, I'm glad oh. we got. I'm glad we figured Jessie that out. Just left. She's I know left. she's. Doing her investigation right now. <laughs> she's being her. Figure her it out. She's All in right, a remote reporter mode. Let's get out. All right. Mode. Are you ready to start? Yeah. I think so. so this, 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 so you know, this is a pretty well-known case. Just so you know, this is the sound garden's going to, this, this dilemma is going to be on my mind the whole time you're going over your The show. whole time. Well, maybe, maybe not, because this is a pretty well-known story, and it's pretty gruesome. So, I hope it, I hope it catches your interest a little bit. Wow. Um, but so this is the case of the Menendez brothers. Oh yeah. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. I just was seeing this. So I just, I just saw this on like TikTok, and I'm like, oh, that's <laughs> That's why I bring it up because uh, it is becoming a pretty famous case on TikTok right now. Right. Uh, well, it has been for a minute. It has been for a minute, so yeah. Uh, I thought I'd bring it back up. Uh oh. Yep. So the Menendez brothers, um, they the the you know before everything that happened, they their family is basically the ideal of the American dream. Um, their father was born in Havana, Cuba in 1944 and basically immigrated to the U.S. Uh, when he was 16, like right before the Cuban Revolution. Um, he lived in his friend's attic um, before he, attic before uh, getting a scholarship to Southern Illinois University, um, where he studied accounting. Um, uh, he met the boys' mother there. Um, her name was Mary Louise. Um, but she often went by Kitty um, and Jose, the father, and Mary Louise, Kitty, um, basically 
got married and started a family. Um, they were married for about five years before they went to uh, New York um, and they had their first son who was named Joseph Lyle Menendez. Um, and he was born in 1968. Um, the family would later move to New Jersey um, with, Jose, uh, with Jose's job. Um, a kitty was a teacher at the time and Jose became a um, executive, um, gosh, what's the word? I have it written down here somewhere. A corporate executive basically. Uh, and then they moved to New Jersey for Jose's job and their second son was born in 1970. His name was Eric Menendez. Um, they lived in New Jersey, um, pretty much until 1986, um, when Jose, Jose's job basically made, had him move to Beverly Hills, California, and he became this huge movie executive. Um, and they, it was like a rags to riches story. This, you know, man, Jose came from nothing and all of a sudden he is making millions of dollars as a movie executive in Hollywood. Um, his two sons who were 18 and 16 at the time that they moved to Beverly Hills were kind of considered these very privileged, rich white men. Um, and they kind of had that like typical rich boy life where they kind of just got by on their dad's money. Um, neither of them were really good in school. Um, uh, Lyle, who's the older one, he got into Princeton University. Um, and he, but he wasn't really there for very long because he um, was suspended for um, poor attendance and poor grades for a while. Um, and then shortly after he was actually expelled from Princeton University for plagiarism. Um, Eric, who was in high school, he had very average grades. Um, and the only thing he really excelled at was tennis. Um, he competed in many competitions for this tennis. Um, and I think he was ranked like 44th in the United States of any tennis player under the age of 18, which is fairly good in my books. I don't know. I'm not really too much into tennis, um, but it sounds pretty good. He clearly did well in that, in that sense. Um, Unfortunately, both boys were known for getting in a lot of trouble as well. Um, I think, I know for a fact, Eric, I'm not sure if Lyle was involved, but Eric kind of got into the wrong group and was arrested for breaking into somebody's home and stealing items. Um, and a friend of the Menendez family said that Jose, the father, um, was really angry about this, but he was more angry that they were caught um, and not that they had broken into someone's house. Um, he was heard saying, calling um, them sheep and that they were not leaders and they were not strong enough to be leaders in this situation. Um, Eric actually had to attend mandatory therapy because of this arrest. Um, and he seemed to get a little bit better. Um, there's nothing really about anything that happened during these therapy sessions with Eric um, that was no, you know, noticeable. Um, but like I said, they were, you know, the American dream, very typical family. Um, 
until the evening of August 20th, 1989, which is pretty much an infamous night now. Um, on this night, both brothers, who were 21 and 18 at the time, um, found their parents in the family den watching TV and proceeded to shoot them uh, with the 12, with both with 12 gave shotguns until they were dead. Um, Jose, the father, was shot six times. Uh, with the fatal shot being to the back of the head. Um, Kitty, the mother, was shot 10 times, um, with her fatal shot being to the side of her face as she tried to crawl away in uh, panic. Um, Eric and Lyle claimed that after the killings, um, they waited for the police to show up because they had made so much noise with the shotguns. Um, they had gone out to their car to grab more ammo to continue the shooting. Um, so they patiently waited for police to show up. So they were sure somebody had called the cops, um, but apparently no one had. Um, they had time to basically, you know, clean up the crime scene. I think, I think maybe in this time that they waited, I don't really know how long of a time that they waited for, but I think the reality of the situation kind of set in for them that as they're waiting for the police, they're realizing they just, they've murdered their parents. Um, and so they decide to clean up <coughs> the crime scene. Um, and instead of turning themselves in, they decide to concoct an alibi. They leave the house and go to the movies to watch a movie. And then they go to a taste testing event. Um, and then later on in the night, once they've done this, they come home and they call the police to um, basically say somebody had come into their house and murdered their parents. Um, Lyle was on the phone with the police and he was hysterical, crying about somebody had killed his parents. When police arrived, Eric was, claim they claimed Eric was curled up on the front lawn in the fetal position. Um, they seemed to the police to be very upset, um, like shaken. They, I, the police said that when they arrived on the scene, Jose and Kitty were unrecognizable because of the brutality of the crime. Um, they, I mean, this is a 12 gauge shotgun. Um, I'm not like super familiar with it, but I mean, this is like, pellets so it's not just like one bullet hole per shot it's right this just i mean it's i can't even imagine what these two people look like um with six to ten shots in them at close range um but the boys were so believable in their act that the police never questioned them they never tested them for gun residue i also found it odd that the police didn't even find it suspicious that none of the shell casings were there. The boys admitted to cleaning up every shell in, in the house. So you'd think if this was just some random person coming into the house to kill them, they would leave the, you know, shell casings of the shotgun. Right. We didn't seem to question that at all. Um, the first few suspects that the police actually had for the murders were um, the mob. They thought this was like a mob hit because um, because of the family's wealth. Um, they also suspected that maybe Jose had some enemies in the movie business. 
um, that were upset with him and basically took a hit out on him. Um, but then no nobody really suspected the boys at all. Um, and I think, so they went scot-free for months, months and months and months. Um, and the police were just looking for anybody um, who might have any information about these killings. I think the boys even got, they hired or somebody hired bodyguards for them because they were worried that the boys would be attacked as well. Um, and I think basically their behavior in the months after the killings may have lost them any kind of sympathy that anybody had for their case um, because it became really hard for people to distinguish between the reasons they gave for killing their parents and, you know, what they did basically in the aftermath. Um, so days after his parents' funeral, Lyle started spending an egregious amount of money. He bought three Rolex watches, which are very expensive watches to begin with. He bought a restaurant near Princeton that was really um, popular for the college students. I think they said he was in hopes of making a franchise or just kind of making money off that one. Um, and then he bought himself a Porsche, um, a new Porsche. Eric also bought a new car um, and he hired a full-time tennis instructor um, as well as competed in overseas tournaments for his tennis. Um, both brothers um, left the family home empty and bought condos that were adjoining um, and took multiple trips overseas to London, the Caribbeans. Uh, at the time of his death, Jose's net worth was about $14 million. Um, and it is summed up that the boys um, ended up spending over nearly a million dollars within months of the parents' death. Um, and this was basically what led people to believe that they killed their parents for financial gain. Um, uh, like the prosecutors basically said that they believed Jose was about to cut the boys off um, and that's why they killed them and they were basically taking their inheritance and spending it. Now, most family members of the Menendez family claim that the spending habit that was suspicious to other people was not out of character for the boys. Again, these are two boys who grew up in this kind of privilege. Um, so I don't know if I see the spending really out of character, but it is kind of odd to be so openly spending money. Um, I don't know. I'm not in their situation. I can't really defend or blame them for their habits after killing their parents. Um, so Eric went to therapy when he was a teenager and his old therapist, after hearing about the murder of his parents, basically called Eric up and said, hey, do you need to take some sessions? Um, I'm here if you need me. And of course, Eric agreed he needed some counseling. Um, but unfortunately, the therapist didn't really have any good intentions in this. Um, he wasn't doing it out of the, the you know, sympathy for an old patient whose parents had been murdered. 
he was actually doing it um, so that he could secretly record their sessions and play it for his mistress um, as basically a, ooh, look what I do. Like I deal with murder victims, kids all day and I get to do therapy for them. Um, but he got in a little over his head because shortly after the therapy started, Eric's conscience got the better of him. And he actually confessed to the therapist that he and his brother killed his parents. Um, and this was already a shock to the therapist. He was unsure of really what to do after this. Um, but Eric ended up telling Lyle about the confession and Lyle went to the therapist and basically threatened to kill him if the therapist told anybody about what happened. Unbeknownst to Lyle, the therapist was recording the session uh, and basically it, it had him on tape threatening to kill the therapist as well as admitting that he had killed, he and Eric had killed their parents. Um, the therapist actually was a little too scared to turn the tapes in, but his mistress, who he was trying to impress, broke up with him and was like, all right, well, I'm going to take these tapes with me and turn them into the police, which she did. Um, and so on March 8th of 1990, almost a year after the murder of their parents, uh, Lyle was arrested um, and Eric turned himself in just two days later on March 10th of 1990. Hmm. So then their trial begins. And actually, it doesn't even start till 1993. It starts three years after they're arrested because it took two years for the courts to decide if they could actually even use the confession date because it went against patient doctor confidentiality rules. Um, and Lyle was not even uh, the doctor's patient, so he shouldn't have been recording him to begin with. So it took two years for the Supreme Court of California to decide that they were allowed to use some of the tapes, but not all of them, and only portions of the tape that were relevant to the case. Um, so, 1993, the boys are tried separately. Um, both um, trials are kind of simultaneous, um, and they're both being recorded and broadcast live on court TV, which was kind of, I think court TV, I read, was like, it started in 1991, but this was like basically the first big thing that happened. This was a nationwide case. This was patricide. Um, this was unheard of, basically. So everybody kind of tuned into this. Um, and again, this people tuned into this thinking this was just going to be two psychopaths who killed their parents. Um, but it turned into this huge media circus because during the trial, both boys revealed that they killed their parents because they had suffered years of physical and sexual abuse by their father and that their mother willingly um, let it happen. Um, they claimed that she had substance abuse problems, alcohol abuse problems, and basically just couldn't deal with the fact of what was going on. Uh, and she let both of them be molested by their father. Um, now, these claims, I think, are fairly credible, I will say. I don't know. Hmm. 
because the thing is, is that he they had two separate family members come forward and say that they both boys had come forward long before the murders, um, both when they were children. One of them being in 1976, Lyle confessed to his cousin, Diana, um, claiming that his father was molesting him. Um, and the cousin Diana actually went to Kitty and said, this is really concerning. He's telling me he's being molested by the father. Um, and Kitty dismissed it, said that he's lying. Um, her husband would never do something like this. Eric would confess to his cousin, Andy. Um, and I think in the trial, it's never, it's not really a confession as much as Eric kind of uh, questioned uh, if his cousin Andy was having the same experience as a child, if his father, they, this is kind of vulgar language, but uh, he said that his father would give him penis massages and he asked Andy if his father did the same. Um, and both boys seemed very concerned about this being abnormal, obviously. Um, so these two family members come forward and say that they knew long before the murders happened that molestation was happening. Um, defense also brought forward pictures of what they claimed to be both boys' genitals taken when they were children found in the father's um, study. Um, there's pictures of abuse. So I, I, I kind of find the, the claims credible. Um, who knows? Um, both boys testified to the abuse by their father. Um, and many people present at the time of the trial said that the testimonies were so vivid and kind of gruesome that it was just too much to be fake. Um, they felt like even though uh, a lot of people said Eric was a very good actor and clearly well, when they called the police at the time of the murder, they were upset and they could clearly pretend to be upset about things like this, um, that the way they were very humil humiliated by their testimonies and clearly upset with what they were saying and what they had to admit that they believed it to be true. Um, and prosecution, of course, said that all of this was fake, um, that the allegations were lies um, and that they only murdered their parents for financial gain. Um, and Lyle's prosecutor, uh, Pam Bosnich, um, I hope only the worst in the world for her because she claimed that because the boys had a bed and that they had were given food, that they could not have been abused by their parents. Uh, and they could not have been raped because men do not have, men cannot be raped because they lack the necessary equipment to be raped. Um, well, I, which I differ on that one. I know. I think that is abhorrent and I whether or not the allegations are true like to yeah to say something like that is just disgusting that's appalling um, yes it's, it's appalling. appalling um and to only try to get your point across by discrediting people like that is 
I can't even believe somebody would be a lawyer and say something like that. Um, but in the end, both the boys' cases, both the trials, um, the juries could not make a decision. They said that they couldn't really, you know, they believed the allegations. Um, and so the trials were deadlocked. Um, and it was only during the boys' second trial when they were tried together. Um, in this second trial, um, any of the abuse allegations were limited. They were not allowed to give testimonies about the abuse or their sexual abuse. Um, and so this was basically the turning point. Um, without those allegations, the boys basically committed patricide. Um, and so they were um, convicted of first degree murder and conspiracy to murder. Um, and they were given two life sentences each um, without the possibility of parole. And this was in 1996, almost 10 years after they murdered their parents. Jeez. Now, I will say uh, the abuse does not excuse the murder. Um, no. But I do believe it's our life to tell them if that's it, true. Well, it, but it, it, if it's true, it explains the brutality of the murder. I mean... Right. Yeah. You know, this is, they were, so uh, Lyle was 21 and Eric was 18 at the time of the murders. Um, and they claim that this has been happening since they were both six years old. Um, that's a long time, you yeah. know, and to face that kind of abuse, abuse. And, yeah. and humiliation, um, and, and there's, for that, for there's so much anger. There would the be so much anger. Them. Right. And then you they claim that they... They claim well, that they killed her out of like a sense of basically uh, putting her out of her misery is what they said, which is really kind of insane. But they believe that her substance abuse was so bad that she was willing to let her husband do this to them. Right. I know, but you never let your child go. Right. And I think well, that's I think why some... there's so much brutality. Yeah. Like this is not just a portrayal by their father. It's by a cruel mom. betrayal by their mom. Yeah, yeah, I think a lot of women like she's living in a denial world of right. Well, I think a lot of to happen. Right. Well, I think a lot of women basically see this case and they're like, "How could you do that to see your right. mother? Like she didn't do anything to you." But imagine yes, like your did. mother knowing about this for years, and yeah. they said that that her they knew that their mother knew about this for years, and uh, they had confronted them on multiple occasions about this. So this wasn't, they, I mean, again, they, neither the parents are there to deny these claims or do anything, but they, both boys claim that they had many altercations with both of their parents about the abuse. It kind of seems to me that, you know, I agree with you. It, like it, there's some truth behind the allegations of molestation and stuff, but it seems to me both of the boys are intelligent. One went to Princeton, you but know, he got, so, he got, that's the thing no. is that they're not, they, they, he got expelled for plagiarism and having terrible grades at Princeton. So, yeah, but I, I, so I, well, I'm just thinking that they're both intelligent enough to know like, Hey, we're going to do this. We're going to like, they waited for cops to show up cops didn't show up and they said let's just spend the money because it's only a matter of time before we're caught and put on trial we go to prison for the rest of our lives let's live it up and um you know because 18 21 you just don't really care 
let's right. it up and enjoy ourselves. So they go through almost a million dollars on a spending spree just to say that they can and enjoy the, that time that they had knowing that they're going to go to prison. Right. And, and I also kind of, if the allegations are true, I almost wonder if it seemed like a sense of justice to them that they, like that they got away with yeah. it. And it was right. kind of like that, well, we got away with it. So like, why not? Right. Um, because I think that's the, like, that's what I, I, I can almost see them like sitting there waiting for the police and being like, well, the police aren't coming. So that must mean what we did was right. Like if, if it was bad, you know, something would happen. Like we would be arrested, you know? So it was kind of a sense of this was the right thing to do to them, maybe. Right. Yeah, I don't know. It's, I, it's so sad. I remember this case, and at the time, of course, we, we cover this every week, there was no internet, there was no, you know, it was very sensational news, and it probably was the first case that was this was even before oj well that's right. so their first trial was um televised i think i forgot this their first case was televised and they basically because they their, their jury got hung they said the second trial oj happened like right before it too and it was also televised and they're like all right he also got hung so or he got off so obviously the problem is that we are sensationalizing this and so their second trial they didn't televise and it was, they literally had no cameras in the courtroom. Right. And they did get convicted. So I think they did kind of have a point. Like it's that it's the court of the public opinion. You can't, it's so hard for juries to stay unbiased when right. they're constantly right. being reminded by people around them that this is a huge I, case. I, will say, I believe from what I remember that the press and the media really portrayed them as spoiled rotten rich oh like, yeah you know, oh yeah that i don't think i don't remember anybody really believing the story that they were no that's lost. like one of the biggest things that like i why i kind of started doing this story was because on tiktok i saw basically their defense attorney on i think gosh, what's his name one of the late night hosts um really not jay leonard what? Really crazy hair. She had really curly wild hair, but she was on there and the, the host is basically like, how could you ever defend two psychopaths like this? And she's like, you don't even know half the story. Like you can't just say they're psychopaths because well, the media the time, is saying they're psychopaths, but they were portrayed as psychopaths. The, lack of the internet and all that stuff. People never really heard that kind of a story before. So it was very hard to believe that these boys would kill their parents. Right. You know, well, and that's, really hard to believe. that's another reason why I kind of, I, I believe these accusations because this is, you know, 1989. This is way before this, like this microscope got placed on Hollywood and their mistreatment of, and like child abuse in general. Like this was, it's for them to create such a story that like this was so, outside I mean, I of what the norm. Child, I can remember as a child there was um, even where I grew up there was a girl who got pregnant and everybody said it was her dad. Mm -hmm. But those things were whispered. You know what I mean? Right. Like It wasn't right. on the news. I'm sure that guy right. never went to jail. I mean, I no. bet his wife never right. left him over it. I mean, it was very 
just very hush hush, but yet everybody kind of whispered. Knew about it, yeah. So those things. But that's what I mean. Like for something like this, so big and kind of very common in Hollywood, you know, this molestation and raping of young children is obviously a real thing in Hollywood. Um, and for it to be so early, like way before this kind of becomes a public thing, it's not like they just jumped on a train and was like, oh, well, this guy is being accused of molestation. So we'll just do that with our dad as well. Right. Well, at the time, I'm sure, I'm sure I remember like most people um, went after that attorney and said, you know, she put those boys up to that story. Yeah, you know. a lot of people say that that she did because I think she got in trouble for something pre-trial. Like she was caught talking to one of the witnesses. I can't. Okay. It was like on Wikipedia, so I don't really it know. Was pretty out there, you know. Yeah. Right. I don't know. I. Yeah, it's it's it again. One of those stories that everybody talked about. I mean, it was a yeah. big story. Yeah. When I think so, it's it's getting really big again. I think a lot of people on TikTok. I mean, there is of course, unfortunately, there are a lot of younger generations who don't really know the story all that well. Um, but a lot of people are basically saying that that the boys should have had some leniency. Um, that they shouldn't have got they you know they should have gotten in trouble for murdering their parents, but their punishment yeah. should have not been so strict. They should they have they are today still in jail. Um, they cannot get on parole, like I said. Um, and so they are going to serve time for the rest of their lives. The rest of their lives. Yeah. Right. So and, weren't we talking the other week about a lifetime sentence was really 25 years? Um, I think so. Yeah, it's, I think so why would it they is. Because that well, was they may have gotten, it may have been 25 years per murder. Right. So they both got two life sentences, consecutive life sentences. Okay. Um, so at least 50 years is basically, I think, what they maybe at max serve. I think they, I, I'm not too sure because that's the thing is like, like life sentences kind of mean something different in each case, I feel like. Um, I think they were originally, so I think the prosecutors were originally, they were originally going for the death sentence. Um, they wanted these boys to be on death row. Um, but the jury said no. That's like the only thing that the jury was like, no, we won't put them on death row, basically. I feel like there was a story we were talking about and it was a mass murder and he gets like 25 years in jail. We're like, what? Well, that's the max. That is common, unfortunately. Like it's, that's the thing is like, that's what I mean when I like each case and each state is different. Like, it, you know, it each case they're like oh well this means this or this means this and so a mass murder will get out in 25 years where there's two two men oh if you plead guilty you could get a short sentence you know like so it's like if you plead guilty to this but not guilty i just remember at the time people they weren't buying the abuse you know they were like they were old enough to get out of there you know if they that was true and um right but i think i think now that's the thing is i think back then like you said like this this stuff was not talked about you did it was in whispers and you blamed the victim for staying in these situations and not 
you know, not going forward or finding something different for the thing. Um, and so it was completely different. Um, and now it's, you know, people are actually taking the time to be like, okay, victim of victims of abuse don't just leave like especially was, when it's your parents uh, especially yeah. when it's someone you love um and especially like they talk about it that this was when they this started when they were six and so they were brainwashed basically i think lyle would end up in the testimonies admitting that he had ended up raping eric as well because he just didn't understand yeah. like what that was like he didn't understand the abuse situation yeah, but yeah. I think that's something, too, is that people need to, like, remember that abuse victims usually stay with their abuser. Right. Because they don't know anything else or they're scared to get away from it. And and if it's your parent that's doing it and you're, and plus, let's, like, let's be honest, 18 and 21, I mean, I know it was back in the 90s, but, like, your, your parents are, and especially if you're from a wealthy family, your parents are the ones that are paying for everything for you they're right. you. so if you you know like get away from them you, there's a fear of being cut off too right i was just gonna say that they were afraid that they wouldn't get any money and how are they gonna go about living the way that they've been living for the last exactly. 20 years right, right. So, but still yeah, I, 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 they, I think they should be punished. I, thought, I think that they should have been punished. I think they, uh, I, I don't even think really. I don't even think the life sentences in itself are unjustified. I just think this like idea of not being able to do any appeals, um, no, no chance of parole. You know, this is. I think there are some harsh. There's harshness to their sentence. Yeah, based off of this, and and it could just be because of the circumstances. I mean, right. I when you when you kill somebody, and not that I know because I've never killed anybody, but you know they were in a state, and then they went to the movies, and then they faked, you know, acting. And and, right, and I think like that's what I, that's what I mean when the way that they they handled the situation. It's like, you know, it, it was well, all. I'm assuming it was one of those things that they said that they waited because they thought the police were going to show up. And then they're 18 and 21. They probably said, oh, we're, we could actually probably get away with this. And so then they tried to get away with it. And when they realized, oh, no, like the evidence is really going to be stacked up against us. And they, you know, yeah. or, well, you know, when the, he broke it to his therapist then right. like oh we've said this lie we got away with it now right somebody actually knows the truth well because that was the thing is that they couldn't they had no evidence against the boys because yeah. they didn't they didn't collect any evidence from the boys the day of the murder and that's why it took right. so long for the trials to happen was because the confession tape was literally the only key evidence they yeah. had like that was the only evidence that they had that these boys murdered their parents um but yeah, I, I, I agree yeah. that like, I think that's what I mean when like they lost their sympathy. Like, I think that that's, yeah. like I said, the, the court of the public opinion is important. And when they lost that sympathy by, you know, pretending and, pretending and then spending all this money and pretending like it wasn't a big deal. That's when the public was like, oh, well, this, this is psychopathic behavior. Yeah. 
well, it's it's sad, but you know. And back then, you did it was unheard of for kids to kill their parents, but they set a path because now you, every other t TV it channel heard of it was unheard of to kids to kill their kill their parents, but then to put on the sexual trauma on top of that back then, really. Well, it's not really uncommon because a lot of serial killers commit patricide. They've killed their mothers. Um, what's his name? Ed Gein killed his mother. Um, Ed Kemper killed his mother. Um, so it's not uncommon. Well, I'll tell you just... the difference. The difference was most of those, I don't really know who the people are you're talking about, but usually when you're talking about... Mm, they Two of had the biggest serial life. killers in the world. I know, but they had troubled life, trouble growing up, trouble. Yeah. You know, yeah, but people. the thing though, These too, boys is. These weren't like that. They were good well, looking. Um, yeah, but white, that's something, though, too, is kids. that on the outside, a lot of families show a picture perfect family, but, know, but behind the walls and behind the doors, were, yeah. it's a completely well, different. Saying, thing. In 1991, when we thought of crazy murderers, it was Charles Manson. You know what right. I mean? It wasn't. Some pretty white boy that has a privileged yeah. life. Again, you know, that's something that works against them. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. Because well, that's exactly people, what the prosecutor said. He said right. they had a home, they had money, they had a bed and food. How could they be life. abused? Boys can't rape right. each other. Yeah. But I think that's where a lot of. But in 1991, as crazy as that sounds, now in 1991. Oh, everybody said that. Everybody was like, yeah, she's got a point. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, no, I do remember that point being like, okay, lady, you're off your rocker. But still, people didn't talk it. You know what I mean? Like I said, right. those stories happened, but those were whispered stories that you didn't share. You know what I mean? Or, you know, you pretend well, like it didn't happen. Yeah, and, and you didn't hear about sexual abuse from anything, and it happened behind I never, so I many never heard of sexual doors. abuse well, when I was growing up. I never well, I had no idea. Well, don't you live a privileged life? I know that it happens. Well, yeah, I never heard of it. Certainly, certainly not from my parents or you know, brother, or you know, that, that would have been just no. I would have never, ever even heard that. So I'm well, just saying the world was shocked when they heard it. Yeah. Oh, um, I agree. I agree. That doesn't mean that it didn't happen. It's just right. this was the first case where people openly talked today, about it. But in 1991, that was shocking. How far we have come. Yes. You know, Lizzie yeah. Thankfully, how far we've this, come. Lizzie right. Gordon got away with murder because nobody would believe a woman would murder. Exactly. She killed her so entire family. Well. Well, she never I'm, was. She was never proven to kill her family. No, so, all alleged. She was a woman, because they said a woman would never do that. They couldn't yeah, yeah. fathom a woman doing couldn't that. Fathom. the brutality so, of it. We're so delicate and fragile. Well, we couldn't. We couldn't lift that axe. It's ourselves. too heavy. <laughs> a woman can't carry an axe. We don't know what how to use an about? axe. Oh, she might break a nail. No. But anyway, so. There's always a time when things, you know, and when they do start coming to light, then they're now they're used as tools to train to, you know, 
-hmm. that this can happen. You know, another thing was in Hollywood, in that privileged community, that would never have happened, you know? That's what I'm saying. It happens. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like, that's why it kind of of doesn't seem like a lie, because it was so far before any of this stuff came out. Especially, you know, like, the Disney shows that I grew up with, those those kids at the time, they're now adults. They're coming forward and talking speaking their truths and it's scary disney channel kids you know that are the amount of abuse and well i always think of the nickelodeon kids that were like when i was growing up like like that's insane like no wonder amanda Bynes is crazy i would go crazy too anyways um off track again but anyways the things that shocked us back then are just nothing now well, I think it's so well, shocking. It's just we talk about it so much that we've become jaded. We're open about it. Yeah. Yes. And, and yeah. honestly, they really brutally, I mean, they couldn't have, it was a brutal murder. It wasn't. Just oh, I agree. Yeah. I agree. This was, this was a planned, brutal murder. I think they, to this day, say that it was in the moment uh, that. Impression. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they they said that they had basically an argument about the abuse with their parents, um, and somehow I, this is so. This is kind of the weird thing is because their story is so confusing about what happened that night. Um, but they said that their father closed the door to the den that they were all in, and it basically like Lyle and Eric both were like, "Oh, this is it. He's going to kill us." He he said he would kill us if we ever came forward with this stuff. Um, it, but then they also say that they were able to go to their car to get the guns, that the guns were out in the car. So they said that they killed them just because their father basically was, they thought it was life or death for them. Um, and so they killed their parents. But it it was proven that the guns were bought like a week before the murders. Um, and that's yes. like, like, it's just clearly pre-planned and it wasn't in the moment kind of thing. Which again is why a lot of people just don't believe their stories because it they're kind of telling a story that's untrue. Right. Right. Yeah. Unfortunately, it's probably one of those situations where they had been planning it for years. We don't want to take this. This is what we need to do. And then they finally got the courage to do it. Actually go through with it. Yeah. When I think again, like everything is from their perspective. So we don't really know how much of it's true and what's not. But yeah. they said that neither of them knew about the abuse that the other was suffering from their father. And that basically Lyle, the older brother, finally found I out that Eric that was being abused by the father. And that was like the, you know, the push. Way. Yeah. Which that kind of seems odd to me, though, too. Like I, you have the cousins that they told like years ahead of time. But like you wouldn't as a sibling, you wouldn't say that to each other if you're close. Plus, didn't you say one was molesting the other? Like. Well, it, it came, Lyle came forward to say that basically he was performing the same acts on Eric that the father was. Mm-hmm. So um, that never came up in that situation? This is what dad does? Or? Well, it's like, well, that's, yeah, like the thing is, I think they just thought it was how families acted, which is, I think, right. insane. But, you know, when you're in that situation, like, you don't know anything different. 
Right. Yeah. Well, and I guess too, like 21 to 18, that's, you know, three, four year age difference kind of a thing that it could have been Eric was, you know, three or four years old or, you know, two or three and Lyle was, you know, six years sure. old doing it yeah. to him and not really like kind of, you know, it could have happened at such a young age that he realized that it was wrong or it felt but, wrong, whatever, but it, they were too young to really like think too much about it too. Right. Right. And I think uh, Eric has said that he was very, um, he admired his father. And so I think there was kind of that um, wall between the brothers of Lyle disliked his dad because of the abuse where Eric, it was so normal to Eric that he, you know, didn't realize how wrong it was. And he had a good relationship with his father. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think um, siblings can be completely opposite. The same thing happening, but they can do it. Well, we all, we all live our own truths. Right. So yeah. Something that happened to me in my childhood or like with Jordan and me, we have a completely different experience for the same. Well, I can think situation. of a, a couple mm -hmm. brothers that I know that I'm sure both of the brothers were being abused by the father and the mother didn't do anything about it. And one of them took the mother, like I'm going to protect the mother. And the other one was mad at the mother for not doing it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. They were completely... Mm -hmm. One was very protective of the mother, and one was completely upset with the mother. You know right. that she never did anything in terms right. of that. So I mean, the siblings can have the same experience and handle it completely different. Right, right. Which I right. think is what happened. I think that's why it went on for so long. Mm. It's, it's sad. sad all around, I think. Sad all around. Sad story. All yeah. Around, yeah. Of how it happened. Four lives and what a messed up life. Yeah. That entire family, you know. Right. Wiped out. Do you think the mother is just as well? As I shouldn't say that because family. both of the boys are married and have children. Yeah. So, yeah. so yeah. their family wasn't destroyed. They just, you know. It's a different kind of family. Do you think, though, that the um, the mother is just, if in these cases, maybe not this one, where the mother knows? Yeah, if, if oh, in the cases of abuse, it. where if the mom knows that it's going on and chooses to be in denial about it, or yeah, she's just as much to blame for it. Yeah, oh, 100%. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And she was probably afraid of losing everything too, because she right. put her husband in right. jail. And what was she going to do for a form of life when yeah. she was used to this? Well, and the thing too is with somebody that life. is, you know, like in this situation, it was the father, but somebody that is abusing the children and in a family situation like this, and the mom is a stay-at-home mom, that it's probably some manipulation with the mom as well too, where it's that uh, narcissistic tendency of, hey, I can do this because if you stop me, you're not going to have a roof over your right, head and right. who provides right. for this family and you guys will have nothing without me. So, you know, go ahead, try. That's and then, well, yeah. you know, and and it's, especially... it's, it's the same, you know, that's the what the 
whole scenario for any kind of abusive relationship is. That's why right. the, uh, you know, the victims stay with the abuser for so long because they don't have that confidence. They don't have, you know, they've been brainwashed or, you know, mentally and verbally abused for so long that they don't yeah. know or they've been told that they're worthless, that that's what they believe. Well, and especially so uh, it was pretty well known that Kitty had substance abuse and alcohol abuse problems. So yeah, that was probably just something that, that yeah. he, you know, threw at her. Like, you know, you can't even take care of yourself. You, yeah, what are you going to do? She probably got that way because she couldn't handle what he was doing to her children. And I mean, that's another maybe. thing. I mean, maybe she was trying to go. That was her way of getting out of. Knowing the mindset, yeah. And, and I'm not too sure because I think they said that in, in a, a clip I watched, they said that she came from a kind of a very similar situation in home at home life. Like her, wow. her father was very abusive, and her mother, you know, I think he left the family. Yeah, so it was kind of just very generational, and she just didn't handle it well and well then if it happened to her then it's one of those trauma pieces that this happened to me so it has to happen to my kids and it's going to happen to their just kids normal and, yeah 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 mm. not good not good yeah it's i don't I don't want to excuse their murder and it was a brutal murder, but I, if these accusations are true, like they're, I can see it. Like I, you know, it's that pressure effect where it just builds and builds and builds. And then yeah. when it explodes, it explodes like something like this. It were is these, that brutal. Um, guns, they were hunting guns. I take it. They were, they were 12 gauge. 12 they were 12 gauge so, shotguns. And it kind of tells you that they didn't plan it out too far ahead because yeah, because really, you know, right. They had. They right. could have went and got. Well, they didn't. So they went and bought guns. Their parents had guns. And that was like the excuse that they used for their own guns was that they were afraid that their father would shoot them with his but with, gun. But they with, went and bought the guns like a week before. Yeah. That's with the shotguns, though, because those are like sport guns, basically, the hunting rifles and stuff. Right. Those 12 gauge, you don't need to go through extra background checks or you know it's like you can buy it and take it home almost the same day yeah, yeah. like there's no you know like you don't have to worry about it doing you know which i don't know i think ksa you and i may be having like a different memory of that because we grew up in so many like traumatic experiences with guns but not <laughs> Well, just I'm like with the school shootings and stuff oh, like that. Okay, okay, like, okay, okay. Like, like, yeah. Am I blocking sorry. out something that I need no. to know? Sorry, no. I'm just saying, like, because in our generations, that right, like, right, right, right. The things that have happened, it you know, across the world with gun violence and stuff, that it, laws have changed, and you know that kind right, of stuff. Right, right. Back in the '90s, back then, I'm, yeah. You know, and you, you and I, you especially, were younger, and so. We weren't at an age where we were thinking about buying guns. You Both know? of you two, you know, I didn't mean, have what to do in case of a shooting dr drilled mm -hmm. into at school. I did. No. I did. I, um, I don't even think, I, I don't know if. Back in Jesse and Jordan's generation, they had guns in the back of their trucks. 
Well, that's what I was going to say. Is that I know. We did not. I don't even know. Like we're not speaking very well and eloquently. I we got. So that's what I was going to say. Is that I didn't. I don't know if I had. I know I had drills in college. I don't know if I had them in high school. But when I was in high school, we had a SWAT team called because somebody left their hunting guns in their truck in the car. Yeah. Yeah. So we yeah. did have that happen. Like that's that yeah. did happen. And what, yes, and that's what you were talking no. about, Mom. We had kids that Remember? we went to school with where they would go hunting before school, have their guns in their cars during school because they were going back out hunting after school. So right. that's where you know, and that's that has happened. Um, and it so that has happened. Where now you know you can't have guns, but. I don't, I never had like an active shooter drill when I was in school. I never even had a bomb threat drill. Oh yeah, we had tons of those. But Matt said that he remembers having an active shooter drill. So it must have been the year after I graduated. Um, But I was also going to talk about back on topic. um, You know, the brutality of this murder, but also with a 12 gauge shotgun, you have to think about this is not you know, 10 shots in a row, like they're going to have to constantly reload the gun. Like mm-hmm. this is maybe a two shot gun. Um, so to take those 10 shots, right. it's constant shot, shot, you know, empty out the shells, put more shells in. This took and a minute. The other, and, the, and it probably happened where the one brother shot two, then the other brother shot two, then the, you know, why they were loading up. They, that's probably how they did it. Because it didn't need their, they probably were dead after two. Right. Well, I don't know. So that's the well, thing is that the, the mom was shot 10 times. And the, yeah. Well, the, the mom was shot 10 times and the, her fatal shot was while she was crawling away. So she didn't die instantly. I think they yeah. did say the dad did die instantly. Um, and his shot was to the back of the head, which if you're defending yourself, you're obviously not going to be shooting someone in the back of the head. Um, and then they die instantly. So again, their story just doesn't add up, unfortunately, with how the murder right. happened. Right. So I don't know, but it like it is. There's just so that there's got to be something other than financial gain. Like this is just too, this is too brutal for just two spoiled brats who want some money. Right. Right. I don't know. Crazy situation. Okay, Crazy our, situation. Our time is way over. So, um, we, yeah, I think we also, yeah, okay. But, no, yeah, our time's way over. Yeah. We'll talk. Okay. <laughs> but, um, any guys got anything else you want to conclude with? Mm. I don't think so. All right. Well, again, thanks, you guys, for tuning in. Please hit that like button, share, and subscribe to our channel. And um, always, and remember, always talk to your children that it's not okay for somebody to touch you. Yeah. Sexual abuse is very or dangerous. Shoot. Or shoot. Well, Nobody's well, going to shoot you, but sexual abuse is not well, okay. <laughs> okay, yeah. If you have and mental use, health problems, use actual out. terms. Don't use cutesy terms. Yeah. Use biological terms. That is terms. a big one. Yes. Yeah. Use the actual anatomy terms. Don't it doesn't, it, it feels wrong and it feels, uh, you know, above their head, but 
it'll help in the end. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Be open mm -hmm. and talk about it because it needs to be addressed and just don't tell one person if they don't believe you go to another. So, right. Right. Keep, okay, guys. keep everybody know. All right. Again, this is for um, entertainment purposes only. We are not doctors or psychiatrists. Or licensed here. therapists. <laughs> so, anyways, thanks for tuning in, everybody. We'll see you next week. Bye, guys. Bye. Alexa played the family school of thought.